Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that ain't afraid of no ghost or negative reviews. Podcast reviews? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh I don't know. Well, we're not we're not afraid of negative reviews. We give no. enough of them out, don't we? So, Yeah, that's true. That's true. We should be able to take as much as we give. Yeah. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. Got a little bit of real news. And our main review is Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm Dan. I'm James. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Whilst we were uh, discussing negative reviews then, yet again, I've had it in the neck for the fact that we both lukewarmly recommended Red Notice. Um, one of my friends, right. not not happy about that decision. I think we've lost a listener, so need to, need to be more careful. All right, so we're right. down to one now. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But that aside, how are you? I'm okay. I, I tried to make what I thought was a fairly pedestrian film reference in a conversation, but it bombed completely. We were talking about the, the absence of some some people at work, and I said, well, look at, well, you know, maybe, okay, Gandalf has fallen into the pit of Khazad Doom, but we're going to carry on. We're going to press on to Lothlorien and beyond. We can do it, and I got blank looks. I got blank looks. Well, someone was grinning. I said, "Hey, well, this, this, this guy knows what I'm talking about," and he just went, "I get, I get the general idea." Um, I was shocked. Fellowship of the Ring. That's basic. Fellowship of the Ring is officially the best film ever made, according to an audience poll in Empire Magazine this month. So, so simply my, no excuse not to know. Yeah, but my, my reference bombed completely. Characters, I think, you know, regardless if you like the film, of if you like the films or not, you should know. But when it comes to Middle Earth geography, I'm, I'm afraid you'd have lost me as well. So, yeah, well, it's geography and just the, the significant events of the film that is referencing. But... Wasn't entirely lost on me. If that's enough. okay. That's fine. That's fine. There's plenty more social faux pas to come in your life anyway, James. Me and you are yep. quite adept at it, aren't we? So, yeah. Anyway, what have you been anyway, watching this week? I watched Amazon Prime's latest big streaming offering, which is Wheel of Time, based on the book series starring Rosamund Pike. Can I just interrupt you there to ask, not ask, guess, doing something we don't normally do. You don't like it. That's... I don't like it. No. <laughs> How did you guess? I, I don't know. I just thought it would be a bit like a poor man's Lord of the Rings and or Game of Thrones, and it just wouldn't satisfy you. So yeah, it's both the poor man's Game of Thrones and the poor man's Lord of the Rings. Obviously, as is standard, I have not read the books. I'd never heard of them. Don't care about how loyal an adaptation it is. Don't care about that. So all the negative, well, many of the negative reviews on IMDb. It has seven point five. Many of the negative reviews on IMDb are about how it's different from the book, which doesn't apply to me. I wanted to watch this. I was hyped. I was hyped. So what is it all about? It's in a fantasy world where magic exists, but only some women can actually access it. And the main character, Moiraine, she gathers up five young men and women to go off on a quest. And the reason that she gathers these five young men and women is because she believes that one of them may be the reincarnation of the Dark One, the evil devil reincarnated that's going to possibly destroy the Earth. Or if they can be turned good, they can help us 
fight fight the evil. I was up for watching it and I binged all three episodes, but it was about halfway through the second episode that I thought maybe this just isn't very good and something isn't quite clicking. What's good about it? Rosamund Pike is good. I liked her. The costumes are okay. But the dialogue, after we talk so much about the dialogue in something like Succession, a lot of the dialogue falls a bit flat. It's either on the nose or it's a bit pointless. All the characters besides Rosamund Pike feel like interchangeable young Netflix show characters. And each one of them, they introduce this village that they live in and I could not keep track of who was who because they were all so bland and each one of them seems to be in a relationship with someone and they're talking about, oh, I don't want to leave you. And I thought that two characters were the same person all the way through the first episode. I don't, I didn't, I didn't, so I don't care for these characters. Rosamund Pike, even though she's good, she's an exposition machine. All she does is deliver exposition. And she's very, she's like, uh, going back to Lord of the Rings, she's like Galadriel in Lord of the Rings. Just very serious all the time. But Galadriel's not the main character. I don't want to listen to wispy, serious exposition for an entire TV series. She's just on a horse saying, well, a hundred years ago, let me tell you what happened with this ancient wizard that did this thing. And there was this battle. It wore a bit thin. So I wasn't keen and I was always disappointed. I was disappointed. One more positive to note, the Trollocs. The Trollocs are definitely not orcs. They're not orcs, they're Trollocs. And they're the main villains. And I think what's going on is that they are men in costumes, really good-looking, scary costumes with, like, CGI-enhanced faces. And they look really good, and they're actually intimidating. You really get a feel of their presence, unlike the Deviants in The Eternals. So Marvel, take note. Watch Wheel of Time. Look at the Trollocs. There's something good going on there with how they've been done. But I'm sorry to say, I, I wouldn't recommend Wheel of Time. And are you done with it? Is that it? I'm done. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to finish off Outlander instead. So I, I need to not watch crap. <laughs> and that is completely fine. Nor should you, because it's a waste of your time. Sorry if you did say, it. is this aimed at, who's this aimed at? Again, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I think the novel is not a young adult YA novel, but some of the complaints that I've read are that this series turns it into a YA novel. Okay. So I think they've changed the age of the characters so that they're all Hunger Games age people, just all generically, roughly like late teens, early twenties, attractive people. And, but all very bland. Ah, oh, what a shame. A lot of money as well gone into this, I believe. Isn't it very expensive? Yeah, Amazon a lot show. of promotion as well. The Rosamund Pike was even on the cover of Radio Times or something. So when I'm going through the supermarket and I see an actor on a magazine, I think, well, this is a real program that exists in the real world, not just on my phone apps. Well, let's hope this isn't a sign of things to come with the Lord of the Rings TV series that's soon to arrive, but we will see. Anything that you're a bit more positive on, James? Yes, Hellbound on Netflix, which is the latest possible Korean hit. Only six episodes. I've watched all of them. It's based on a webcomic from Yeon Sang-ho, who is behind Train to Busan. 
it is about some creatures that begin to appear out of nowhere and they brutally, brutally murder people, seemingly for no reason, and burn them alive and then disappear again. These three cloudy CGI monsters. And it's determined that the reason these people are getting killed are because they've sinned and they're going to be taken to hell. And then people start to get uh, decrees or, or declarations. They get told by an angel, CGI, giant floaty head, you're going to die at this time. And then it happens that the monsters do come down and kill people. And it is about the implications of that. So it's not purely about when are people going to die and people being afraid of dying. It's how would society actually react if that happened. And that is why I was very keen on it. It has had mixed reviews, mainly about how it runs too slow, but I liked it. So religious figures emerged to take advantage of people dying because they are sinning and saying, we need to not sin. We need to purify ourselves. It's God's will. God wants this. We need to form, uh, I forget the name of it, even though I binge watched the whole thing very recently. They form a group that is a basically religious fundamentalist saying, because this is happening, we need to be pure. And I really liked that. Another thing that happens in, it's six episodes long. The first three episodes is about a police detective and his interactions with the chairman of this religious group. And you get to follow that. The last three episodes, fast forward a few years, it's different characters, mainly. And it's about a journalist. He's looking into what's really going on with these monster attacks and the religious groups that are exploiting it. I really liked that. I liked that they were looking into the implications. I was entertained. I watched all of it. I would recommend it. But I appreciate the fact that it can get a bit slow. Very good. Well, it's in that sweet spot in terms of episode length for me. Or it's, it's not a huge commitment, so I might very well add that to the watch list of, of 50 other things which surely will never get watched. But surely you have watched something. Daniel, what have you been watching this week? I watched Crime, the subtly titled Crime. You'd never have thought that for me, would you? It's a six-part crime thriller by Irvine Welsh, the writer of cult classics such as Filth and Trainspotting neither of which I'm that big of a fan of. But this is a BritBox original, and I purposely signed up purely to watch this because I was intrigued. And slight side story on this. It's a warning to people, basically. I went on the BritBox website, went to sign up to BritBox, then signed in a seven-day trial, I might add, went to sign into my BritBox account. I don't have one. So what? The devil have I signed up for? Turns out that I'd signed up for an Acorn TV subscription, but I definitely was on the BritBox website. So I don't know if they're doing some weird redirects that you end up mistakenly signing up for Acorn, then going, oh, there's been an error signing up to BritBox and somehow hoping you forget that you subscribe to Acorn TV. Don't know what's going on there, but please be aware. Be careful. It's completely irrelevant to this review, but I felt people should know. So it's developed entirely for the BritBox platform, meaning 95% of people are never going to see this. And that's a massive shame because I thought this was properly good. 
which isn't very good English, but I really did. It stars, oh, I need your help with this, villain from Mission Impossible 2, Scottish guy. Is it, How do you say his name? Is it Dougray Scott? I would, I've heard it said as Dougray Scott. Okay, we'll go with that then. So it's Dougray Scott, and he plays the central detective, Ray Lennox. He's tasked with solving the disappearance of a young girl who goes missing. Non-spoiler, she's not just missing, she's been murdered. And it stirs up some old demons as the, the crimes are quite reminiscent of a serial killer case that he worked on years ago. And that more or less, well, near enough ruined his career um, because he spiralled into drug and alcohol dependency and he's been trying to remain sober ever since. So as you can guess from that, and as is you know, commonplace in this sort of genre, he's a truly tormented detective. And, and yes, it's about the crimes, and bringing the perpetrator to justice. But I would probably say more than any detective show I've seen recently, this is a lot more about Doug Gray Scott's struggle to stay on the straight and narrow. And, you know, he's dealing with all this depravity amongst him and how's he going to get to grips with all this? It is very gritty and it's dark in tone, but the writing matches that visual tone because the language is very colourful, to say the least. There's a lot of effing and jeffing. It's an effing and jeffing tour divorce, to be honest. Uh, there's barely a scene that goes by without an F word in it. And it's probably worth pointing out at this point that it's set in Edinburgh, Scotland, and they do not shy away from presenting you with a mix of the strongest accents possible. So, yeah, unapologetically Scottish. So if you're an American listener, I'm not exaggerating. Or being racist, you will need subtitles. It's... Um, it's a bit like an X-rated version of Taggart, I suppose. Anyway, back to the show. D- Doug Ray Scott as Lennox, he's brilliant. I genuinely had forgotten. <laughs> I might not have even realised, but he's a really good actor, really good actor. And it's almost like this is a showcase for why he should have been a bigger name in Hollywood. But I guess he's only got himself to blame for that, for turning the role of Wolverine down. Speaking of the acting, the, the villain of the piece or the killer that, that's not revealed till later on in the series, but let's just say it's a very well-known actor and he's playing against type and that was quite interesting to watch. Uh, reviews of this have been a mixed bag as well, like you said about Hellbound. Two completely different shows, obviously. Some have praised the dark atmosphere and Scott's performance. Others have said, Servine Welsh, I expected a bit more of this. This is a, a wee bit bland. Let's see what I did there. It, it doesn't all completely work, but this is probably much like I said a few weeks ago about show trial. It felt very different to the standard British crime thrillers that we're used to seeing. So for me, an interesting detour into a very overexposed genre that I still can't get enough of. Is it all available on BritBox? All six episodes available now. And, and you watch all of it? I have the... The other thing which I will say as a criticism, it comes to a very abrupt end. I was like, surely we have half an hour left here. And it was like, nope, we're actually done. Bye. And that's not because you lost internet connection? Not as far as I know. Okay. Well, that does sound good. Doug Ray Scott, you may be right. I'll accept that you may be right. I'm not going to bother looking up. But I think with Wolverine, if I remember rightly, he, he couldn't take the role because of scheduling conflicts with Mission Impossible 2 reshoots. That rings a bell. That rings a bell. So it's definitely not his fault, and I apologise for saying that. Yeah. But maybe he could be uh, the Marvel Studios Wolverine instead. 
I think that ship has sailed. It's far too old now. What else have you been watching? Apart from that, I've just been finishing season two of Succession, which continues to be amazing. And rinsing my way through the remaining episodes of American Crime Story, so not much else to report on. So in the absence of any further reviews, let's get to some real news. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. First up, it's believed that in a communication mix-up between the departments of transport and culture, the UK government announced that it's banning the release of all new Vin Diesel films by 2030. It's not true. No. Because it's a joke. That's right. I didn't need to what real actual true story news have you got? Well, hopefully it's true, but you might remember a few... I don't even know. I've lost all concepts of time. Weeks, months back, Scarlett Johansson embroiled in this legal battle with Disney over her pay dispute because they released Black Widow on Disney Plus and she was meant to get a lot of the royalties from box office and yada, yada, yada. And there was a lot of heated things said, especially from Disney. So it seemed as though the relationship was off, right? We've cut ties. We want nothing to do with this woman ever again. And same back from Scarlett Johansson. Well, it appears that something's gone on in the background i.e. someone's been paid, and Scarlett Johansson is now working on a secret Marvel-related project with Disney. So didn't see that one coming. Is a bit non-news because we don't know anything about said project, but there you go. She will work with Disney again. Now, isn't that a nice tale? That's it's, it's moving. I am moved. <laughs> it's a heartwarming tale. It is a heartwarming tale. I'll tell you what, he's generated a lot of articles though with headlines saying Scarlett Johansson's new role. She's going to be acting in something? No, no, she's not. She's not. But you did click the article, didn't you? It, it does seem like there's there is no information other than that she has a producer role in something that we have no idea what it's going to be. This is nicey nicey Disney spin this to get themselves away from that tarnished view some may have from a few months back when they did this to Scarlett Johansson. I think they've probably just gone, let's release this as soon as possible. Even we don't know the details, but uh, yeah, it'll look good. It's good It's good PR for us to show that we're not ditching her and we, that we might care about her. However, if it's a secret Marvel project, as we briefly discussed last week, there are so many Marvel projects that I'm not excited about the prospect of just one top secret one. No, if the, only, if the only Marvel projects that we were getting were films, which it used to be in the old days, back in the 2010s, remember then, then it might be exciting to think, oh, what film is it going to be? What what big, important film is it going to be? But now it's a top secret Marvel project. It could just be an eight episode, 20 minutes each animated thing on Disney+. Plus About a character who appeared in one comic for one what did they call them? Issue. That was it. Thanks. Do you have any real news? Not so much news as an article that made me feel validated. So our remaining listener, you may remember that I talked about Arcane League of Legends, and I was hesitant to talk about it because it's based on League of Legends, which is a game that I've not played that has its own identity. And I didn't want to go all in 
on a video game adaptation, but it's been validated by the BBC and they've done a feature on it about how League of Legends was turned into a hit TV show. And it says that the new animated series Arcane has hit Netflix's top 10 list in 83 countries across the world since its release earlier this month. And they asked the creators, how has Arcane managed to reach and appeal to mainstream entertainment audiences when so many other game-inspired stories has failed? And the person being interviewed doesn't actually answer that question very much. But the fact that this article has been written makes me feel okay in possibly saying that Arcane is one of the best programs of the year because it's it's truly amazing. You have to see it to believe it, what they've done with it. And we're, we're bleeding segments into one another here, but did you finish this? Did you, did you finish I've not it finished now? it because I don't think it's... Oh, it is all out, but I've not caught up on it. So I'm a, a whole six episodes behind that I need to watch. Right. Okay. I, I want to watch it properly and set myself and get myself settled and watch it properly like I did with Succession. Yeah. I checked it out, by the way. I've only seen 15 minutes and it was more of a it's late, go to bed reason as to why I turned it off. But I concur with what you said about the animation. It's, it's truly beautiful to behold. I'm very much looking forward to watching all of that. Yes. But are we still looking forward to watching Spider-Man No Way Home? The trailer came out. They weren't in it. Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Yeah, it's... Um, and I'm, I'm so glad, by the way, that we put a non-Marvel news story in the middle to seem to break it up. But seriously, Marvel's all there is to talk about. <laughs> yeah, they weren't in it. They weren't in it. Now, does this mean they're not going to be in it? Do you think this is just a final pointless tease to the inevitable? Because all the villains are in it. They all appear from all the previous iterations of spider-man so i just don't see why they wouldn't it's it's almost like if they're not in there now people are going to be hacked off so it could backfire massively this there will be riots i think yeah there will be riots (laughs) but what did you think about the trailer overall did you think it was a good trailer i actually i watched it once when i woke up in the morning in bed and I, i watched it once and then i forgot that i'd watched it until someone else asked me about it i preferred the first trailer because that t- seemed to talk about the story more and dr strange casting as well the second trailer it's more random flashes of action 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 people jumping into each other with no idea of what the film is going to be i mean is it just going to be a series of like fan service appearances of different characters is there going to be an actual story to be bothered about that's my that's my key concern here what did you think? Uh, well, obviously, without wanting to seem like a hypocrite, because I religiously don't watch trailers, but for the purpose of this, I had to, right? I had to watch this one. And, and I was just too intrigued as to whether they'd show up. I thought it was all right. I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was anything particularly spellbinding. I'm not too bothered at this point. And I think I've got similar-ish concerns to you in that it's a weird... It's a weird line to, to walk, really, because if it's not just fan service here, then it means they're going for something a bit more than that. And I really worry that there's too many elements in this to fully flesh out. I just don't think it's possible. You can't have that many villains and do anything significant with them. And if the other Spider-Mans do appear, are they really going to get the story arc or payoff that they deserve? Probably not. I, I think there's... There's too many ingredients in this broth 
personally, is how I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. In the Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s, there is a multiverse storyline where other Spider-Men from different universes come in and their presence only serves to further the story arc of our Spider-Man, of the main character. Mm. We're not really... It's, it, like, it's cool to see the Spider-Man with arm with metal armor and it's cool to see the spider-man with dr octopus arms but we're still really following the story of our guy mm. so maybe they'll do that here but you can't just have it, like the inconsequential presence of Tobey Maguire and andrew garfield yeah it, it might it, just feel a bit weird they'll, they'll be too distracting they're, they're too distracting for us to really follow the story of tom holland yeah and it will reek as as you said of, of fan serviceness so Anyway, not too long to wait now, as I've probably said repeatedly the last few weeks, but... Yeah, it'll be out of the way soon. (laughs) Right, shall we move on to this week's main review? Yes. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Ghostbusters Afterlife. What are you doing here in Somerville anyway? Honestly, my mom won't say it, but we're completely broke. And the only thing that's left in our name is this creepy old farmhouse our grandfather left us in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you bring me up here? Entertainment value. (laughs) What is that? I don't know. Somehow, a town that isn't anywhere near a tectonic plate, that has no fault lines, no fracking, no loud music even, is shaking on a daily basis. Under the dining table now! Hey, remember that one summer we died under a table? I found this in my living room. Kill a replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? Hot off the success of the female-led Ghostbusters reboot more than a decade earlier, Columbia Pictures attempts to inject its audience with a heavy dose of nostalgia once again by choosing to ignore that film's existence entirely. Instead, producers decide to dig deeper into the past and, without a fresh idea in sight, they re-watch the original 1989 Ghostbusters film for inspiration mining it for inventive opportunities to expose a new generation to hugely profitable merchandise. Unfortunately, they hit a brick wall and choose to combine an abandoned script about small-town America, isolation and absent fathers with a cast of likeable youngsters who are blissfully unaware that they are starring in a Ghostbusters remake. Paul Rudd also stars. James, that was my take on this film. But what does the internet say? When a single mother and her two children move to a new town, they soon discover they have a connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. James, I'm so intrigued. What did you think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? Well, we've previously said that I don't have a big emotional connection to Ghostbusters. I was too young. I mainly watched the second one because it was very, very often on TV. 
so I wouldn't call myself a fan, which is not to say I don't like it. I was surprised by how engaged I was with the central plot of Phoebe Spengler, played by McKenna Grace, almost unrecognisable. Her story of settling in a new town, being an outsider, meeting people, finding adventure and finding herself along the way. I thought that was a surprisingly good plot and I was fully invested in her character, to be honest, sincerely and unironically. That, to me, was, was, a, was a decent plot that I was happy to follow. And it all builds quite nicely. It felt like it was confident enough to just start very, very slow and have not much going on and slowly introduce you to the family. And it was very smooth. And it has a little bit of action in the middle and then it builds to a third act that I'm not that sure on, but it does build nicely. It's a film that reminded me of the first Planet of the Apes film with James Franco, where it's all characters, 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 and then let's have a big action payoff at the end that really feels like something, because the rest of the film has been a pretty, pretty quiet. However, I'm not quite sure who this is for, because it trades a lot on the nostalgia of the older films, which were released almost 40 years ago, is it 37, 38 years ago? But it is a Stranger Things-like young film with the kids going around on their bikes in the town. So who's actually supposed to be watching this and really be moved by it? Not sure. Speaking of Stranger Things, the, the guy, Finn Wolfhard, is in this, who was also in Stranger Things. And that maybe it's maybe a bit suspicious that maybe they're were looking for any kind of approach that would work and just thought, let's do Stranger Things, but with Ghostbusters, that'll work. And we'll get Finn Wolfhard in just to seal the deal. I thought it looked really good. I don't want to repeat this phrase, but like an, in, an indie film, it wasn't shot as like a comedy or an action. It just felt like small town, realistic, gritty, but nice looking film. And I really liked the clean look of it. I've already mentioned McKenna Grace. I didn't know who she was. I thought, who is this? Is this a first film? And I looked her up, saw her face and thought, I've kind of recognised you, but don't know. I really liked her a lot. She was so good that I felt like Finn Wolfhard didn't need to be in the film. They could have got away with having just one kid, but I feel like Finn Wolfhard, as the older brother, was only there because they needed someone to drive the car. Carrie Coon, who plays Callie Spengler, she was an awful mother, completely useless. I don't know why that wasn't played up more because she can't pay the rent on her house, which is fine. But if you've got two kids, just figure it out because if you're going to go homeless, your kids are going to go homeless as well. And then she, her father dies, isn't bothered, and she's banking everything on getting this inheritance. And when that doesn't happen... She doesn't seem that bothered, but it's like, you do have two kids to worry about here and puts them off into summer school. And she just never seems that bothered about her children and doesn't seem to do anything. Doesn't seem like she wants to get a job to actually make so she can feed her children. That was a really surprising character. And they could have done more of the fact that she's awful, but they didn't. Overall, I did have a good reaction to it, even though it seems to change a bit too much in the third act. However, after watching it, I noticed that Red Letter Media, my favourite film review YouTube channel, had posted a review. And I watched it the same day that I watched Ghostbusters Athletic, which I don't normally do. And they absolutely tore it to shreds. 
they ripped it mercilessly apart and said that it was an embarrassment and that it was disgusting and that that it is not based on the nostalgia of the Ghostbusters films. It's based on the nostalgia of Ghostbusters merchandise. And it's an awful, awful thing. And it, when I was watching, I was thinking, you're right. You're right, Red Letter Media. But my reaction moment to moment in the film was enjoyment. So I, I'm torn. I'm torn between what actually happened and Red Letter Media, which is sort of my friendship simulator. Daniel, what did you think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? Uh, like you said, we only discussed this a few weeks back. Both have loose childhood memories. Not that big of fans, but it, it was a part of our childhood. And I don't know, I, I watched this, similar to you, detached from that emotional tie to the franchise. And the only thing that was playing on my mind going into this film was one of my friends at work. He watched this the night before me and hailed it as the greatest film he's ever seen in his life. And that he wept like a child at the end. So that, that piqued my interest. And I thought, Oh, I've got slightly raised expectations. Now. I really liked the opening to this film. It's not entirely clear what's going on, but it leaves enough unanswered questions to, tease you into submission and you want to understand what's going on this this is a family drama that just so happens to have ghostbusters in the title or at least that would seem to be the case for at least the first third of the film and i really like that it, it felt like this is a new chapter it's something very different in look and feel than the original films and you did get a sense that it's setting out to acknowledge what came before it but not lean too heavily on it because it wants to be its own thing. And I thought, that's really brave. I like the direction that this is heading in. The cast in this are all good. Uh, Paul Rudd is the sort of affable chap who finds himself drawn into the chaos of this family who arrive. And Carrie Coon, you're right, she's not a good mother. She is not a good mother. I found myself questioning, what are you doing? when they're in this summer camp like you do you have a job how are you paying for these fast food little outings that you go to I, I don't know what's going on there it wasn't entirely fleshed out but uh, it wasn't a problem that there wasn't much real depth to those two because it is more about the children and I have heard a lot of people say oh this is a bit Goonie-esque um, and I can see that it's concentrating on the children and it's about them discovering adventure and yada 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 and the adults play more of a supporting role so that's fine I agree with you that McKenna Grace is brilliant in this she's the real emotional hook I suppose and she does very very well in that role again I'm gonna agree with what you said about her brother he doesn't need to be in this he's not given a lot to do but even so McKenna Grace aside there isn't much development of anyone else like at all however there was enough going on in the plot where it didn't ruin my enjoyment because the story was carrying it and that surrounding mystery. I was still entertained. There are some nice set pieces, which are, you could say, hard to talk about if people don't want a particular spoiler, which just so happens to be in the trailer. The, the Ghostbusters vehicles in it, whatever, deal with it. Um, that I really like those scenes where they were chasing around ghosts. Uh, is that a spoiler? Anyway, I've said it now. 
I also really like that aside from the odd glimpse of an iPad or a laptop, the, the clothes and the town that they live in, it feels very dated and behind the times. It's like you're transported to a different era. The music, I think, definitely aided that because it's sort of like a bit over the top, 80s, 90s sound to it that I really, really liked. I genuinely was loving every single thing that this film was going for, everything. I was like, this is going to be in my top 10 films of the year. However, (laughs) the the last act, I enjoyed it in the moment, like you said about the film as a whole. But on reflection, there are some decisions that completely undo the hard work that they've done to set this apart from the originals. And it did feel like they wanted to have the cake and eat it too. It lacked courage to fully commit to the story that they'd laid out and the characters that they've introduced. It did remind me a bit of Shang-Chi to an extent and my journey with that film where it was all very much, I am loving this, this is great. And then the final third is very CGI dependent. This wasn't anywhere near as offensive as that, but it almost took me out of it a bit. But again, I was still enjoying it in the moment. I can't say the same about the final acts of Shang-Chi. I, th- I think I would have been a lot harsher on the final third were it not for my completely foggy memory of the 1989 original, because I'm led to believe, because I've now listened to a review, that it introduces a plot that is ripped straight out of that film and almost repeats it beat for beat. Now, I didn't know that at the time, but in hindsight, with that knowledge, that feels really cheap and lazy, and I'm disappointed that they went down that route. We can talk more about that in spoilers, but overall, I do have problems with it, full show, but it will be in my top five cinema experiences of the year for definite. So it, it was joyful despite its flaws. Very well said. I agree completely with your point about how I didn't have the courage to follow through. And I feel like it isn't the first time that's happened where it was small, small scale, small scale. We're committing to these characters like these characters until it was very much about something else. Paul Rudd, I realized as you were talking that I didn't mention Paul Rudd at all. Now, (laughs) Paul Rudd is the main face in the poster. He's obviously the big star in it. He's quite prominent in the trailer. He's very obviously not the main character. No, it's a supporting role, isn't it? Yeah, which I was surprised at, given his prominence in the marketing, which is fine, but he is a supporting character. A supporting character that I would argue, is he playing himself? Is he stretching much here? Oh, God, no, no. This is Paul Rudd doing what Paul Rudd does. Yeah, yeah. Other than The Shrink Next Door, which you spoke about the other week, I thought he was really good in what I've seen of him in that, by the way. A bit different. Yeah, he is really good in that. So because I'd just seen him in The Shrink Next Door, I didn't completely lose all respect for him. But it is, it is very much, I'll come and be Paul Rudd and you put my face on the poster. Yeah. Thank you very much. About the objects. So let's talk about the nostalgia, given that for us, actually, just like it has been said, the nostalgia for me comes from the merchandise. I had the Acto One car and the six inch Ghostbusters figures that you could put inside. So that that Ecto car ran alongside my Jurassic Park car. Uh, so I had those objects. And it does a very similar thing to Jurassic World, where the young characters find these objects, whether it's the night vision goggles from Jurassic Park or the ghost box thing. They find those objects. And it means something to us because we've seen it and it's presented as, oh, look at this thing they found. 
but does it really mean mean anything to the characters? Mm. So it's a really weird. There's, I think there's a term for it that I've seen. It's like a meta reference to something, like when Ray and Finn see the Millennium Falcon in the Force Awakens, and you get the burst of the heroic Star Wars motif. But it on that's for us. To mm. the characters, they just say it's a pointless ship. So it's one of them. This film is one of them where the objects appear, and you're supposed to just like seeing the objects that you remember. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. And that becomes even more problematic in that final act. But I tried putting myself in the position of I'm 12 years old because it's 12 rain, and I'm watching this film. Is that going to be something that I feel excluded from? And to me, it was just tastefully done enough so that it didn't feel... Ageist. Ageist. And, and uh, well, I said taste, distasteful, basically. It didn't feel lazy. I thought there's been some thought and attention behind inserting this into that. It's, it's not in your face. Way Everyone yeah. clap. It wasn't um, gratuitous nostalgia. Thank you. That, that was the word that I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, there is that. It's you could also plausibly watch it as it's a journey of discovery as she finds these mysterious objects. Yeah, I also just just as a minor point, really liked the use of practical effects in this. It's it's sparingly used, but I thought it's so alien to see a practical effect that it was noticeable, and I and I enjoyed that. So yeah, just one other thing I wanted to call it out for because it does. Car, is that the is that the car chase that you're thinking of? No, it's actually one of the creatures later on in the film and the scene in the Walmart. It didn't yes. look CGI. Because mm. it, it, this film does so many things right, and I think that's why I'm even more irritated at it for, for the way that it ends. But anyway, anything else before we get to that, James? I will ask you, Daniel, would you recommend Ghostbusters Afterlife? Well, the next 15 minutes we will tear into this, I'm sure, and it will seem as though we didn't like it at all, but I can't deny I had a really good time with this film in the cinema, so why would I possibly say no? Yes, 100%, I recommend this film. You? Yes, I agree. I would recommend it. Are you surprised to recommend it? Yes. Yeah, me too, me too. Right, let's get to spoilers. Bruce Willis, real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Phoebe, through a series of discoveries and help from Paul Rudd, finds out that her grandfather was famous ghostbuster Egon Spengler. And they uncover that Gozer, the villain from the first Ghostbusters film, is going to rise up and take over the world once again. So in the climax of the film, in the third act that we're referring to, Goza possesses Callie, the useless mother, and Paul Rudd, and she's going to cast some spells to take over the world. So our heroes fight Goza, and in the big moment, the three original living Ghostbusters come back, and joined by the CGI ghost of Harold Ramis, they shoot their proton packs into Olivia Wilde, who is playing Golza, and uh, she she explodes, does she? And everyone gets to hug and get, be happy, and then the film ends. And there's some mid-credit sequences setting up some sequels, I'm sure. Which I didn't stay for, so I have no idea what happened. 
in a mid-credit sequence, they're playing with some cards, and in a post-credit sequence, it's revealed that Winston is a wealthy family man, and using his money, they're going to maintain the Ghostbusters properties. And there is a warning light on the Ghostbusters firehouse to indicate that we will make more films if this is successful enough. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask you about, Goza as a character. Did you remember that from the first film? Because this was like, this is a whole new thing for this film to me. I didn't realise that it was dredging up more than one thing from the past uh, that was previously dead. We'll get inside a minute. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, d- I didn't know, and it was after I discovered that that I thought, oh, come on, why have you gone down that route? That sullied my perception, my initial perception of the film, if, I, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I was, I was the same. As I was watching it, I think three quarters of my mind knew that it was the same character, and I recognised the imagery of the two gargoyles on the side, and I thought, this looks really, really similar but maybe I didn't want to accept that they were just copying it. Mm. And I just thought, whatever, I'll just take it in. I'll accept it. Even though it looks really familiar, maybe it's the same, I don't know, but I'll watch it. And yeah, the same as you, I, look, I looked, well, I watched this, another review where it's explicitly compared. Like, and it's, it is, at some points, it's shot for shot, the same finale as the first Ghostbusters film, which is very, very odd, very lazy. And it, 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 it has left a bad taste in my mouth that they've taken that skin-tight soup, short-haired woman, gargoyles, lightning from the sky, it's all the same. And it yeah. didn't match the rest of the film. The scale of it, the fact that it's Goza taking over the, the world, it, it didn't make sense. It, it, didn't, it, it didn't fit with other stuff that was going on in the film. Yeah. I've also seen some people who were quite annoyed with the Walmart scene with the reappearance of Marshmallow Man. I've got to be honest, I loved that scene. I thought it was so playful and funny. All right, it probably makes no sense that he appears, but just the many ways in which the marshmallow men either kill each other by burning themselves on a grill or in a blender. I just, I thought that was really funny. I had a lot of fun with it. I liked it as well. I mean, again, because I've watched that other video, I'm conscious now in retrospect, that it's very odd that Paul Rudd is in a completely empty and perfectly clean Walmart. (laughs) And that doesn't make any sense, and it feels very much like the scene in World War Z where Brad Pitt takes a break from the action to drink a delicious Pepsi from a Pepsi machine. That helped fund the reshoots for that film. Yeah, I I think I I was enjoying it enough that I think I let myself forget that it was a weird bit of product placement that at worst was done afterwards that was filmed afterwards just with Paul Rudd and Neptune Walmart but yeah I, th- I can see how it's number one it's product placement number two why is it Marshmallow Man again do you have to bring up every single image from the previous film can you do anything new yeah and you know relying on the other films yeah again I suppose we come to the the most offensive use of this which is the reappearance of the Ghostbusters even though I gave it a pass in the moment, I was still, there was an undercurrent of me just not being happy with it straight away. Not even, oh, it's two hours after the film. Oh, I didn't like that. I, I sensed it then. I thought, I'm not comfortable with you being here. Go and do one, Bill Murray and your Mary crew. I don't want you in this film. It just wasn't necessary, in my opinion. Yeah. What I thought was going to happen was that the Dan Aykroyd cameo in the middle, I thought, that's it. That's the cameo for this. Yeah. 
they've ticked that box. The cameo has happened. Fine. And even though in the moment as it was happening, I did feel a little bit of a... I did feel something. You were manipulated. I was I was successfully manipulated. When I saw the four of them lined up and then the the CGI ghost of Harold Ramis, my God, what a world we're living in. The, the CGI ghost of Harold Ramis. I did feel something. This is good. The manipulation is good. Slow motion music. It's working. But any, like you say, any moment to think about it, you realise, hang on a minute. This is just so cheap and it's 40 years later and who is this for and why and where did they come from why did they get changed into the jumpsuits beforehand yeah what's happening <laughs> and, ju- and just to perfectly exemplify what you've just said with when Dan Aykroyd appears via phone call midway through the film there was an audience reaction which was bloody hell because he couldn't believe that he was in the film. When all three of them appeared, silence. And I don't think it was in awe of it. I think it was, oh. <laughs> they, were, they were disappointed. As I said, it's like they couldn't just settle for having a Ghostbusters for a different generation. It was, we're going to annoy a lot of people if we don't, if we don't bring them back. Oh, go yeah. on, let's just do it. To be safe. And for me, it it's... I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Yeah. I think a part of why maybe they convinced them to come back is because it's directed by Jason Reitman, Mm. who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who was a close collaborator with Hal Dramis and Bill Murray. So I think that's how they've convinced them to do it and said, oh, let's, let's honor the legacy and all that. But it is a bit like you're watching these actors and directors like work through their feelings about something in the, in the middle of what was until that point a pretty good film. Yeah, but it's still at the end of the day a recommend, isn't it? So yes, we'll just take it as it is. So that's Ghostbusters Afterlife, a solid solid-ish reason to go to your local cinema. James, what may potentially be another reason returning to the cinema next week? i.e. what's the main review? House of Gucci, directed by Ridley Scott, with an all-star cast of Lady Gaga, Adam Driver and Al Pacino. Well, after his rather damning comments about the failure of The Last Duel, will this be a box office success? I fear not. But we'll certainly be adding to its revenue, won't we? Yes. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to get in touch with us, you can always do so by emailing us at inthehourspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at inthehourspodcast. And the most important thing and helpful thing that you can do, leave us a five-star review and rating on iTunes to help bolster us up the charts. From now until next week, James, what say you? If you have a fear of death, don't worry, because you can live forever as a CGI character in a film.